Radio Krikon. Hi there and welcome to episode 6 of Get Your Creek On, a podcast about Jonathan Creek. After a short break, we are back for series 2 of the show and we begin with a Halloween tale of a disappearing skeleton. Series 2 of Jonathan Creek sees the reintroduction of the character of Adam Klaus, so we have that to look forward to. As ever, watching the episode before listening to this pod episode will mean that things make much more sense to you, and also that your life is much enhanced overall because you've spent more of it watching Jonathan Creek. If you haven't watched any Jonathan Creek before, well, you are a moron who deserves malevolent shit to beset you forever. Dance Macabre aired on January 24th, 1998, and I'm thrilled to tell you that the handsome-sounding Australian gent is back to move things along. Episode Synopsis Series 2 opens with Maddie being woken up by an elaborate setup including an alarm clock, phone, radio and recorded message routine which barely manages to rouse her from her slumbers, but she's then forced to get up for good when the door buzzer goes and Stephen Claythorne, a minister, invites himself in to tell her all about a murder that took place at his house the night before, with the murderer spiriting himself away into thin air. Emma Lazarus, Stephen's mother-in-law and writer of gothic horror stories, was shot dead by a mysterious stranger. Emma, who's Stephen's wife's mother, that's uh, what a mother-in-law is, had moved to America and remarried a much younger man previously, a hairstylist named Tom, and the pair of them recently invited themselves back over to England to stay at the vicarage. And when they arrived, they came with a security man named Hal Drucker. We see Emma goading Stephen about how God doesn't exist, which he unsurprisingly takes great umbrage with, what with his belief that God's all awesome and whatnot, and the entire household, apart from him, then head off to a Halloween costume party, but come home relatively early after Emma felt ill. As they return home, they drive past a weird stalker in the bushes outside who has followed Emma over from America. Despite the scariness of all that, on All Hallows' Eve of all eves, Emma laughs it off. They get back to the house and, as they do a photo shoot in their costumes, the storm dramatically blows open a window. As Drucker goes out to move the car into the garage, we see a figure silently walking up the stairs in a skeleton costume, which Emma's husband Tom was wearing until moments earlier. The skeleton walks into Emma's bedroom, lifts a gun and shoots her dead. Stephen's wife Lorna rushes in and is appalled to see the corpse. As Drucker runs inside to find out what the ruddy hell is going on, the skeleton knocks Lorna to the floor and demands Drucker brings the car to the door. As he goes to do so, the skeleton carries unconscious Lorna outside and moves to get into the car. However, Drucker then grabs the gun from inside and shoots the car's tyres. The skeleton, escape plan now thwarted, is backed into the garage with Lorna still over his shoulder and places her on the floor. He then closes the garage door and is trapped inside as the police arrive. 
They eventually open the door, but are astonished to find Lorna regaining consciousness on the floor, but no sign of the skeleton. How the heck did it escape without being seen? Maddie has listened to Stephen telling her this tale, and phones Jonathan to tell him all about it. He's at Adam Klaus's house after a very late night, is sceptical about the whole notion of vanishing skeletons on Halloween, and tells her he isn't interested, and is too busy with work anyway. It looks like Maddie is on her own this time. Jonathan debriefs with Adam after their big night out. Adam brought home a woman called Bridget who isn't his girlfriend, and she is in the bath. Unexpectedly, Adam's girlfriend then appears, and Jonathan is forced to pretend that Bridget is in fact with him. And the only feasible way of doing this, of course, is that he jumps in the bath with her. Back at the manse, Maddie is searching through paint tins and other odds and sods in the garage, whence the skeleton vanished. There isn't anything at all evident with regards clues. Lorna Claythorne is still traumatised after what she went through and can't offer much by way of further information. As Maddie runs her finger through police dog piss, inadvertently I should add, Hal Drucker appears and gives her his theories about how the eerie stalker must have done it, and how his screwed up mind might well have been rendered as such by the sick writings of Emma herself. As Maddie looks at and then steals one of the photos Drucker took shortly before the incident the night before, Tom tells her about Gary Lobo, a man who was helping Emma with her autobiography, which was apparently about the various lives she previously led. At the windmill, Maddie tells Jonathan all the information she's gathered to date, and admits to being completely stumped by it. He pontificates about how, when solving unfathomable mysteries, you need to look round corners and see things that you're not meant to see, exemplifying this with a scale model of a trick involving a gymnast. He then tells Maddie about how he eats Weetabix for dinner. The next day, Maddie goes to see Gary Lobo, and after falling into his trap of persuasive bollocks about hypnosis and misunderstanding past lives, they go for lunch. After an ordering mix-up which leaves her eating poached octopus, Maddie listens as Lobo tells her about his recent meetings with Emma Lazarus, which left him thinking that she knew she was about to die soon. Maddie and Jonathan later catch up at the theatre. He implies that he's worked out how the skeleton escaped from the garage, but doesn't actually give her the solution, much to her chagrin. At that moment, Bridget, the woman from Adam's bath, appears and asks to see Mr. Klaus. Turns out she's trying to blackmail him, threatening to go to the media with details about their fling unless he lets her take part in his show. Adam has Jonathan go to Bridget's house with a blank cheque to buy her off, but she isn't having it. She's not interested in money and just wants the chance to perform. A bit like me, I just know that I was born to pod, no matter how vigorously the download numbers may argue otherwise. As she gets pissed off with her young son, who is being an annoying little scrote, she exclaims that she cannot find her shoes, which triggers a question in Jonathan's mind. Back at the manse, something quite despicable occurs. Lorna goes downstairs in the middle of the night to find that someone has decapitated the corpse of her mother, which was lying in a coffin. Maddie returns the next morning and Stephen tells her all about it. She's brought Jonathan, who rakes through the paint tins in the garage. Lorna's gone to visit an elderly man called Mr. Snetterton, and Jonathan and Maddie head down there, 
to find her sitting with Mr. Snetterton, who's just recently died. She was with him when he passed, and apparently, with his dying breath, told her that the other night he saw someone dressed as a skeleton running past his garden. Jonathan glances at a letter which says Mr. Snetterton was recently in hospital having a wart removed. What a nosy bugger, Jonathan. Later, Jonathan takes the piss, as twere, out of Maddie's constipation, before explaining how the skeleton trick worked. He asks her to state how many people walked into the garage. Maddie incorrectly answers two, when in fact the answer was just one. The penny drops. Lorna had switched into the skeleton costume after pretending to be knocked out on the landing, then put her outfit onto a mannequin which she carried into the garage and, when the door closed, she chopped it up and hid it and the skeleton costume in various paint tins. She got back into her original costume and waited to be found when the door was eventually opened. At the church following Emma's funeral and much to Minister Stephen's dismay, Jonathan and Maddie confront Lorna and Emma's husband Tom, who were in cahoots to carry out the whole shebang. Emma was terminally ill and decided that the best thing to do would be to stage an elaborate ploy in order for Tom and Lorna to get their hands on her life insurance money, using a storyline that could have been straight out of one of her novels. We see a flashback to Tom shooting her while still in the skeleton costume and her saying sorry or I love you or thank you or something. Tom whipped off the skeleton costume for Lorna to then put on and he subsequently pretended to have been knocked out by the mystery assailant. Drucker reasonably asks the question as to who stole the head of Emma's corpse in the middle of the night, and why. We then see the weird stalker guy from earlier sitting on a plane with a box on his knee, the perfect size for keeping a head in. How the hell he got it on there through security is a mystery, but good on him for managing. We end the episode in a restaurant, where Jonathan and Maddie are dining with Adam. He's disgusted to see the blackmailing Bridget enter the restaurant, but Maddie goes over to have a word with her. Surprisingly, Bridget turns on her heels and heads away, having been told that associating with Adam would be a shockingly bad career move, and that all men are complete arseholes. Episode Analysis of all the mysteries and puzzles that appear in Jonathan Creek, I think this has to go down as one of the most ingenious, until it's revealed what actually happened with just one person walking into the garage with a mannequin. You're left scratching your head, really, as to how the heck someone could have spirited themselves through the big stone walls. The whole plan behind shooting Emma did seem a bit strange when you think about it, though doing it in her own house and using the rest of the family as witnesses, you'd think there must have been a simpler way to do it. The weird stalker breaking in and stealing the head off her corpse certainly added a spooky Halloween-esque element to the story, although the notion of that guy somehow getting it through airport security and onto the plane is just crazy. It would have been far less risky to maybe just mail it to himself, but then again, it could have ended up in the possession of Yodel, and then he'd have never seen it again, so not worth the risk. This is the first episode back in person for the character of Adam Klaus, and the first appearance in the role for Stuart Milligan. The very first thing Klaus does here is reveal himself to be a philanderer, so very much a case of start as you mean to go on. 
In Series 1 episodes, Cloyce was frequently mentioned, although we never saw him, and there were secondary stories featuring Jonathan at the theatre and so on, but I think Adam being back here in person really beefs up all the B-plots and makes them really entertaining in and of themselves. This was a really strong episode for Maddie in particular, she has some tremendous scenes with the vicar, and even gets to investigate the murder herself for a while before eventually roping Jonathan in. It never fails to be entertaining when she can't figure out the answers and goes off down some silly lines of thought. We do, however, often get examples of her shoots pa and willingness to do whatever it takes to get things done, stealing the treasured family photos in this episode, a good example of that. As ever, a number of funny lines and or gags in the episode. Jonathan on the phone early on telling Maddie that Stephen probably isn't even a real vicar and if he asks you to pray, don't kneel in front of him with your eyes closed, that was great. Hal Drucker was very good for a laugh throughout as well and Lorna's attempted explanations to Maddie in the garage were terrific also. A Halloween themed episode meant there was a lot of spooky elements to it, some of the music and lighting and so on made it really atmospheric and I personally thought it was incredibly enjoyable throughout. Feel free to disagree if you want, although you're wrong. Okay, now it's time to please have your tickets ready because you'll need them to get through the barriers at the celebration of Location Information Station. The house at which most of the action took place in this episode is a real vicarage in Leafield, which is a village in Oxfordshire. However, the garage into which the skeleton disappears, that wasn't there to begin with and was built especially for filming at a cost of 15,000 quid. Real Cotswold stone was used to build the walls and a genuine concrete floor was laid. However, the roof was built with plastic replica tiles rather than the real things. After filming was finished, the whole thing had to be dismantled and grass relayed because Leafield is in a conservation area. An interesting fact about Leafield is that it was home to the development centre for the Arrows Formula One team until it went bust in 2002. It was also home to the headquarters of the Super Aguri Formula One team until they went defunct in 2008. And it was the base for the Caterham Formula One team as well until, you've guessed it, they went bankrupt in 2014. Conclusion. If you own a Formula One team, do not move it to Leafield in Oxfordshire. The chances are, things will go down the shitter. Creek Connections At 7 minutes 58 seconds, as Hal Drucker reverses the car out of the garage, we see that its registration plate is OLN. 686. On the New York Stock Exchange, OLN is the abbreviated name of Olin Corporation. An American manufacturer of ammunitions, chlorine and sodium hydroxide, Olin is headquartered in Clayton, Missouri, which neighbours the city of St. Louis. Meet Me in St. Louis is the name not only of a film, but a post-hardcore rock group from Britain who were active between 2005 and 2008. 
The tracks on their 2007 album Variations on Swing included songs called The Torso Has Been Severed in Mid-Thorax, I Am Champagne, You Are Shit, and Eins, Zwei, Drei, Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff met his second wife Pamela Bach on the set of Knight Rider, a show featuring an artificially intelligent car called Kit, the original version of which was based on the 1982 Pontiac Firebird. The designer of this model of the Pontiac was called Jerry Palmer, and he was educated at the College of Creative Studies in Detroit. The college's mascot is a peacock called Watson, which is also the name of a question-answering computer developed by IBM, which was entered into the TV show Jeopardy in 2011. Jeopardy was also the name of a kids' TV show which featured several Scottish schoolchildren heading down under in search of UFOs and was filmed in the Australian town of Busselton, Western Australia. The capital city of Western Australia is Perth, off the coast of which lies Rottnest Island. If you add an E to Rottnest to correctly spell the word Rottenest, you have an anagram of Snetterton. Mr. Snetterton was the old boy who dies in this week's episode, having recently had a wart removed from his throat. Holy shit. The only two words that describe me right now are flabbergasted and thunderstruck. Another Creek Connection, next time. Pottery Corner That's right, Pottery Corner. This new section is in fact called Poetry Corner, but the voiceover lady misread the caption. I didn't feel like paying for an amendment to that, so we're just going to stick with it. Please note there will be absolutely no pottery content in this section or any other episodes likely, so switch off now if that's going to make you angry. Why the hell is it called Poetry Corner, you may wonder? Well. I am delighted to say that in a major coup for the pod, I have struck a deal with a very famous poet to create works for each of the episodes in series 2. He's regarded by many as the worst poet of all time, and it's a particularly big scoop for us because he has actually been dead for almost 120 years. William Topaz McGonagall, most famous for his poem The Tay Bridge Disaster, has been resurrected, a pen thrust into his hand, and he's been forced to watch a screen showing this week's episode. I'm very honoured to present Mr McGonagall's Lines on an Observation of Dance Macabre. Awoken from her slumbers was Maddie Magellan, by a visitor who, as a minister, was far from a felon. He brought with him news of his mother-in-law Emma's murder. But, as his tale went along, it got more and more absurder. Having come from America with her husband Tom Teresi, she'd annoyed Stephen the minister with her opinions most beastly, claiming the Lord doth not exist, of imagination he is but a figment. Oh, that made for his annoyed face to go purple in pigment. 
That night to a party the household did travel, but soon the car pulled back onto the driveway's crunching gravel. As they returned to the house, their ghoulish costumes they sported. Then a blown open window caused the calmness to be rudely thwarted. Moments later, a skeleton into Emma's bedroom did wander, and an opportunity to shoot her dead with a gun it did not squander, then demanded Hal Drucker remove the car from the garage, under the threat of another firing of bullets in a barrage. But the killer's plans to escape were hastily spoiled, when Drucker shot the car's tyres and the getaway was foiled. The skeleton ducked into the garage, closed the door and inside was hermetically sealed as the police arrived and kept their eyes peeled. As time passed by, the coppers ran out of patience and tried to make the skeleton's acquaintance, but much to the surprise of all and sundry, the costumed criminal had vanished and headed away cross-country. Alas, Maddie couldn't get Jonathan to help look for clues, as he'd been out on the piss with Adam Klaus meeting flues, ease and was nursing a fierce hangover at the conjurer's house, and ended up in a bath with a lady wearing not so much as a blouse. Maddie surveyed the scene and found no answers to the mystery, despite witnesses giving her all of the history and a good talking to from security man Drucker, who with his beard and leather jacket was a mean looking mother flipping son of a bitch. One and all were getting upset at the lack of solutions at the manse and they were acting all with a scance, but, good heavens, Jonathan Creek came up with the solution as to how the trick was carried out with skillful craft and execution. The skeleton-suited person was none other than Lorna, who to this point had played the victimised mourner, when in fact she carried into the garage with her a mannequin, then hid the skeleton suit and sawn-up dummy in empty paint tins. Emma had been shot by her husband as planned, because she was terminally ill, not because he was a bad and evil man, and on life insurance they'd all get their grubby mitts, making the clueless drucker and police look a right bunch of tits. There's an odd end to this strange old whodunit story. Emma Lazarus's head was stolen from her corpse in an act most gory, and the obsessed thief took it home in a box, something which would surely the aircraft staff shock and flummox. And there ends the tale of the vanishing man of bones, who escaped through the walls and left Lorna Claythorne on her Jack Jones, aired hours before a Sabbath day in January 1998. This yarn full of intrigue and mystery and murder and fate, a conundrum that was solved by old Johnny Creek, who'll be back to unravel another mystery next week. Pottery Corner Thank you ever so much for listening to this episode of Get Your Creek On and for your continued listenership of the pod in general. My key reasons for starting this show were 1. Fame, 2. Money and 3. Chicks. And I'm certain that in the fullness of time it's going to bring all of those to my door by the bucketful, so thanks for tuning in and keeping the dream alive. You can contact the show 247365 or 366 on leap years by emailing getyourcreekon at gmail.com or via the Twitter page, which is at creekget. If you have any observations or comments, then it would be really interesting to hear them, and then, if they're stupid, ignore them. 
you can buy me a coffee via the online service of that name. Just search Get Your Creek On. That's it for today. The next episode will be Series 2, Episode 2, Time Waits for Norman. Until then, kick back and take it easy, and I shall see you on the flippity flip as a wise man once said. I'm Toby. Bye for now.